If you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 3, verse 22. Mark, uh, as we've said a number of times, this goes through really quickly. If there is a gospel that you want to read the quickest, Mark is the one to go to. Again, what are we... What are these Gospels for? Why do they call that? They tell the good news of Jesus, obviously. But they're, I- especially in Mark, he's kind of taking us by the hand and showing us who Jesus is and how they discover that over time. Uh, so when we read through this, you're going to start to see people who are making conclusions on who Jesus is. Um, fairly early, we're only in chapter 3, probably only in the first year of his ministry. So verses 20 true, 22 through 30. Uh, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he has cast out demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, the house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless his first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Mark summarizes what we have in the other two Gospels on this case, but... Um, You see the scribes coming down from Jerusalem. Uh, I think I've talked about this before, but if you go into the, even that's true today, if you go to uh, Israel, uh, the Palestinian area, uh, they don't go by north and south like we do. Uh, Like I said, if you're going to go to Omaha, we're going down to Omaha, or you're going up to Minneapolis, that's the way we do it. They do it by elevation. And Jerusalem sits on a hill, so no matter which way you come, you're going up. And which, which way you leave, you're going down. So even though they're going from Jerusalem, like here, what we would say up to Galilee, w- they say down because it's down with uh, elevation. So that's what they're talking about here. But what are they doing here? They're attributing Jesus casting out demons. We had a couple times already where he's done that. and We've talked that through. And the miracles and his teachings, they're attributing to Jesus all of his teachings and his actions to Satan. And that is a claim they're making. We're talking about where Mark takes us, we take the disciples, we, we get to follow them, and right now they know he's a teacher, they're thinking he's more than that, but other people are making conclusions about Jesus. That is the number one thing in the world to figure out, you know, is to know God. Well, Jesus says he's the one that you can know him best through, so the number one question that's always there, whether people know it or not, is who is Jesus to you? That's it. You get that figured out, and you get it right, things will be good. If you don't get that figured out and get it wrong, things will not be as good, and Jesus tells us that. It, it, you, you're not going to get different information than that from the Bible. But they're making conclusions already about who he is. And we get to see how he combats that. So... They use this word Beelzebul. When you, when you get into the Bible, we've said this before, you certainly want to read it and understand it. But again, logically, you want to understand what the person either who is speaking, who is writing, meant. 
you, you can say, well, I, I, it means to me. And, and if you're in my Bible study, I'll probably say the same thing every time. I don't care what it means to you. Not yet. What does it mean to Jesus? Now, sometimes that's hard. This is kind of a hard text, isn't it? This would be a good one to skip over because we're getting this eternal sin. Let's just get rid of it. It's like, I don't know what's going on here. You know, is it essential? <laughs> do we, you can do that. But no, we're going to go through it. We're, we'll figure it out. It's not that hard. Beelzebul, which uh, originally came from the chief god of the Philistines. This is a term that you'll see that's out there. Um, you go back to 2 Kings 1, it says, the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, you know, one of the great prophets, arise, go to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, it is because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire at Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. So what is happening is Israel in Elijah's time is not following Yahweh, they're looking for other things. And we have that today, right? And we get tarot cards and seances and Ouija boards and horoscopes and coin flipping and I don't know, whatever else people do. Uh, liver shivers. <laughs> Look at the stars and see how that works for you. You know, that's all out there. There's all kinds of ways to try to get information about your life. That's what these guys were doing. It's, you know, and that can happen. I mean, you may be praying for something to God that you've wanted for a long time and you're not getting it. And that's hard. Now, it's, it's not so hard if it's something frivolous. It's hard when it's something that really means something. And it seems like something God would want. But again, we have to step back and think, well, maybe God has a morally sufficient reason for not giving me that right now. And let me trust him as a loving father, as we talked about. So sometimes we look for other ways. And that's when this other stuff creeps in. That's what was happening here. But Beelzebub not Beelzebul, it's just one letter, but Beelzebul means God, uh, uh, the prince of gods. Uh, that, that, that's kind of a nice term. Uh, Beelzebub means Lord of the Flies, which is not a compliment. It, it kind of morphed into that, they, that the Israelites would call this God Beelzebub, which is Lord of the Flies. And he's like, well, what's the big deal? Well, anybody here from Iowa? Yeah, I mean, have you ever been in a pasture and looked down? Where do the flies tend to congregate? That's what's talked about here. Lord of the fly congregating place. You know, this is, uh, this is about as bad as you can say uh, about a god. Uh, so it was obviously a slam. Uh, but, it had, but really, there, so this, this became Satan's uh, moniker, you know, the same type of thing. And what Jesus is doing in this little parable about this logical parable that we, we probably heard, he's saying at least six things. This is what I'm getting out of it. He says it's illogical to attribute defeating demons to being an ally with them. I mean, this doesn't make any sense. You know, you, you, you don't want to do that. Uh, and then in verse 27, he says, Satan, who here is the strong man, Satan has strength. Spiritual forces of evil, as we've seen, are real. He's been casting out these demons um, because he's more strong, but he must be bound. He must be powerfully defeated before the sphere of power can be dealt with. This implies that this is what Jesus is beginning to accomplish. He's trying to destroy the works of Satan. And we've seen so far, it doesn't seem like it's all that difficult for him when he encounters a spiritual force of evil. There's not a big battle. 
It's just like you, out, gone. It's, I, I like that. I like that Jesus doesn't seem to have a struggle with evil in that case. But this explains why there's such an extreme demonic activity during Jesus' ministry. It's more than anything we ever see. Why? There's an intense spiritual battle going on. I'm not sure how much they know about him. They know something. We've already had that. They've called him the Holy One of Israel. They've called him the Son of God. Nobody else has figured that out yet. But just because you him that doesn't mean you follow him as such. We can confess with our mouths whatever. We can give what we call lip service. You know, We can sing these songs, which are great. They're supposed to help us worship, and they do a good job of that. But if it doesn't really touch your heart, what, ma- what does it really matter? It's just going through the motions. And do you think the demons were kind of like disciples of Jesus? Because they knew who he was, at least at some level? Just because you know who he is doesn't mean you follow him. <laughs> we got to be careful with that. So there's a, it t- that's why you see so much activity now. Not that it can't happen. If, if you go some of the third world countries, you see some odd things. I mean, right now, I think, uh, to quote uh, R.C. Sproul when he was asked, why don't we see more uh, demonic activity around? He says, well... Don't you think they've kind of got a leg up already? It's easier to be subtle, right? Did God really say that you're not supposed to eat from this tree? It's usually subtle. and It's like, well, you know, (laughs) how many times has this been said by a young man? You know, if you really love me, You'll do this thing that God doesn't want you to do. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. You'd be careful. It's subtle. It always looks subtle. It's really just saying, twisting a little bit. That's much easier. You know, remember back to the tree. I've said this before. It's not a tree of raw liver. It's not a tree of lard or rhubarb. <laughs> Inside joke. Rhubarb and me don't get along. Um, the, uh, um, it's its fault, not mine. <laughs> But, I mean, it's tempting. You know, you, you get that. She saw it's pleasing to the eye. I mean, whatever it was, it, we don't know if it was an apple or a fig or whatever. It doesn't really matter. It was something that was pleasing, not just because it was going to taste good, but because it was going to give me something I don't have. Because that's out there all the time. God's going to keep you down. Heck, you got to come and worship. How boring is that? And then you got to sit through a sermon. Oh, man. What is up with this God? <laughs> It's always subtle most of the time. And that God uses other things too. It's not subtle here because Jesus is on the scene and there's a problem. But the battle continues. You go to Ephesians 6. This is the armor of God scripture. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers in this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You know, people have... There's a lot of Christian theologies. They say, well, this is just, they didn't really understand back then because they were, you know, kind of more back, you know, they're kind of backwoods. They don't get it. They're not smart enough. I've said it before. I said it today in the Bible state. Jesus is the smartest person who ever lived. And if somebody's going to ask, well, you really believe demons exist? I'm going to say, well, Jesus did. And if that makes me a fool, so what? You know? It goes on. It's not just Jesus. Paul tells us here. But the mortal blow has been dealt to the evil spiritual forces. That's what we're starting to see here. You go to Colossians. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature. 
He was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He has canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. We don't think about the cross that way, do we? You know, but in the spiritual force, they looked at that and said, that's, oh my gosh, that's victory. We just lost. The cross is the victory of God, you know. It looks like the people around him were thinking he was losing. If he saved others, let him save himself. But that's the ultimate way he did. He showed it already. He already had the power. Jesus didn't come to, to, to beat up the demons for himself. He already had that. He did it for us. <laughs> you know, we couldn't do it on our own. So we find out that the followers of Jesus have strong weapons to successfully fight the battle. That's what you got to remember. This, this defeatist attitude that, well, you're going to sin some of the time and all this. Well, yeah, maybe, but that's not your goal. You're supposed to be following. You've got the weapons. You, know, you can read the rest of Ephesians 6 about what those weapons are. You know, faith, righteousness, peace, the gospel, the Holy Spirit, the word of God, all these wonderful things that you have. And in 2 Corinthians, which I want to, you're welcome to turn there too, but this is another, it's like Ephesians 6, uh, but it's just a really short version of spiritual warfare. And I think it's very helpful for us. Remember the Great Commission's last line, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. What does that imply about everything God commanded? Do we need to know it or not? Back to the fathers, if you're here, mothers, whoever you are, how do you teach something to someone that you don't know? It's really hard. And if you go to school for something and the t professor does not know the material, how much is that going to help you? you and it's the same thing with us. If we don't know everything he's commanded, everything he's taught, everything he's instructed, then it's really hard to teach other people that, isn't it? That's why it's so important. But look at verse 3, if you're there, 2 Corinthians 10. For though we walk in the flesh, that doesn't mean the f it's the fallen nature that he's talking about, the non-redeemed nature. We are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, now this is cool, especially for us guys, because I like those movies. Rambo. <laughs> you know, you like it when the bad guy gets beat up. I realize sometimes the good guy does it in some interesting ways. But this is the, this is the weapons. Okay, you want the weapons, here it is. This is the weapons of our warfare. I love this. This is just so easy. Oh, you just do that? The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. There's that word. What did you say? The strong man. These strongholds, when you see that word, contextually, it's almost always some sort of spiritual forces of evil. Yeah, and I do like the joke that, you know, why would Satan bother with us in Denison? He's hanging out in Washington, D.C. all the time. Hopefully that's not true. I mean, I don't think that's completely true, but it, it is. It's that's where, you know, they're, they're out there. They're, there's, there's, there's things that are there, but how do we, what do we do? They're, we want weapons to destroy these strongholds. We, and this is the, the line, we destroy arguments. You know, that word could be translated cases or ideologies, you know, ways of thinking. Like ways of thinking that would think that Jesus coming in the flesh 
or the Son of God coming in the flesh as Jesus would be casting out demons by the power of Satan. That's a dumb argument. So we destroy it. <laughs> we can even destroy the smart arguments, right? But we destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's what you're supposed to, that's how you win the war. You take every thought, and how are you going to do that? Now, there's two ways to do this, and I think the first one happens once in a while. I suppose there are people in here, some of you kids are still in school, I mean, it is summer, so, but um, I don't know if they told you this, but college might be harder than high school in some places. Uh, the physical education classes aren't that hard. But, the, but I mean, but, you know, you're, you're destroying arguments. You, you're having thoughts. You, you know, you, you think about that. When you go into a test, is it possible that you haven't studied any of it and then God just kind of gives you some knowledge and you, you get an A? I think it's possible. Is it probable? Mm, no. You're not going to probably do very well there. So when you're in life and you're trying to destroy arguments and take every thought captive to Christ, you could just rely on the Holy Spirit to just put that in there and give you everything you need. Or God could, I don't know, have stuff written down. Wouldn't it be cool if God inspired a bunch of people to write stuff down about him and told us who he was and who we were and why he came and how we're supposed to live. Wouldn't that be cool? Would you want to read it? Yet we, you know, we put the Bible on our coffee tables and sometimes never open it. If you want to destroy arguments, you better know and take every thought captive to Christ. I think God wants you to read what he wrote. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit still enters in. I realize that as we read through this. I mean, how would we know who Jesus was if we didn't have the Gospels? It, is it God could have done that, right? He could have just said... You just get a feeling of your guilt, and I'll just infuse every piece of information into your head. Could he have done that? Yeah. He didn't. I didn't come up with this stuff. He's the one that had this stuff written down. Maybe he did it for a reason. Should we follow his rule, or should we do it on our own? You know, if you're not reading your Bible, then get into it. It's not that hard. You want one, we'll get you one. How much should I read? I don't know. Start reading it. Start studying it. It's the way you get to know God the best. You're not going to be able to destroy arguments and use the weapons if you don't know what the heck Jesus wants you to do. And I'm convinced that most, almost all heresies against who God really is is because people just haven't read the text. You know, this baloney out there that if you're always faithful, you'll always be healed, you'll always be healthy and always be wealthy. It's like, have they read the text? Did you know they killed our leader? just doesn't fit the narrative, does it? And you can say, I don't like it. Well, I don't really like it either, but he didn't really ask me if I liked it. I don't really like having to pay estimated tax payments every three months. But I have to. It's part of the rule. It's not so much of what you like, it's so much as what is true. Are we taking every thought captive? So back to our regularly scheduled program here in, in Mark. So we must always remember that we really are in a spiritual battle, but it's not a losing battle. You know, you go to James 4. So humble yourselves before God, step one. Then you can resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Not because of you. 
I mean, if you come up there and say, I am Brian, pastor of Grace Church, you must leave. Just like that. And you got to do it that way. Stand a little wide, you know. What would Satan, <laughs> what do I care? You know, he's not going to run from me. He's not going to run from you, but he will run from the spirit. He will run from God. Humble yourselves before God. Realize that you can't do this on your own. You can only do it from the stronger man, the Holy Spirit. And then in 1 John 4, 4, little children is his word for disciples. You are from God and have overcome them. Okay, overcome the, what is them? Well, it's the people who teach false teachings that aren't taking things captive to God. For he who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. You know, you have the power to destroy this. But remember that, that word, that second word in, the, in James there. Don't get cocky. I know in my life, it seems like every time I get cocky, humility comes really fast. I did find out you can fall off your roof and the ground will break your fall. It does humble you very quickly. I've got this. <laughs> yeah, just when you think you got it, God says, you do? Oh, okay. Oh, I, yeah, I'm not going to sin much anymore. I mean, I've got this. Yeah, be careful. Always remember it's the, the spirit who is God, who is in obviously in allies with the, the Father and the Son that has the power. You don't. And Satan's not going to win the war. I've read the end of the book. But he will take prisoners. And you don't want to be his prisoner. That's really what we're about, isn't it? Trying to deal with that. And then a little bit quickly here about the eternal sin. This is a little hard. I've had people deal with this, you know, because, again, we kind of read this out of context. Uh, he said they're talking him about blasphemy. They're, you know, He's saying blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. What, blasphemy, is that a word you use a lot? We probably, you don't even know what the word means. It's an old Hebrew word. It's transliterated here in the Greek. It kind of means a disrespectful act or words that have in motives in which the honor of God is insulted by man. It's a heart issue always. Um, you don't do this accidentally. That's where people get trouble. It's like, well, I wonder if I've committed the unforgivable sin. Well, let me tell you, if you think you've done it, you probably haven't because you're still worried about sin. Um, it's a little odd way to put it. It's an ancient Jewish way to kind of argue, and these guys would have gotten it, and they would have understood it. It's a little tough for us, but it's the idea of blasting, you know, disrespecting the Holy Spirit is never going to be forgiven. Well, why? Because those who disrespect the Holy Spirit will never ask for forgiveness. This anticipates that substitutionary atonement that we get access to the Father through the Son and we get the Spirit, you know, for even the Son of Man came to be served, not to serve, but to give his life for a ransom for money. He pays that price. We get the Spirit. That's part of what it means to be a Christian is have the Holy Spirit. And you're not going to disrespect the spirit if you have him you can grieve him we've done that it kind of comes back to the the old calvin uh, john calvin idea you know when somebody asks him how do i know that i'm saved it's a good question you know did i, well, I got baptized i said a prayer i you know i you know jumped up and down you know whatever it is you're supposed to do and he i loved it you know do you feel guilty when you sin 
I, I mean, I don't know if you like that. I kind of like that. The Spirit convicts us of our guilt. But what is he going to say? You're guilty, you're bad. No, you're guilty, but Jesus died for you. That's why he did it. And you're in the family. You can call God Father. And we got this. We're much stronger than that stuff. All that's been nailed to the cross. Don't, don't worry about that. You're better than this. We can do better. It's always a rah-rah. It's not, oh, you're terrible. That's never the Holy Spirit. So blasphemy, you know, it, it, it's something, a, an eternal sin. It's the fact that you're not actually asking for forgiveness. Because every sin committed, no matter how wicked, is going to be forgiven those who humbly turn to the Savior. Everyone. Don't underestimate the power of God's forgiveness. You have never done anything so strong and so horrible that he won't forgive it. Just look in the Bible. You remember in the Old Testament, there's a phrase for one guy that he, had a, he was a man after God's own heart. Anybody remember who that was? That was David. And it's so nice to know from the Old Testament that David never messed up. I mean, would you say adultery and murder are in the top ten of things not to do? He did it in one act. So why could God call him a man of my own heart? Read Psalm 51, you'll find out. Against you, Lord, you alone I have sinned. Forgive me. It's the perfect example of the, the, the horrible sins that are just terrible that he washes away and you no longer they're accounted. You know, the devil's going to keep telling you, you're bad, you're not worth it, God shouldn't like you. It's the Spirit that says, you've fallen short. But that's why he came to redeem you Let's get that erased and let's go forward together. You know, that's, that's what we want. So, in 29, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It's an act of hardening. You get this in John 3. I'll let you read that on your own. But John 3, you can almost get the whole gospel, everything in John 3. If you want to memorize a passage, memorize the 36 verses of John 3. It's got so much in it. Unless you are born from above. You cannot even see the kingdom of God. There has to be something going on. Unless you are washed clean by the Spirit, you will not understand and you won't have the power to overcome. That's what he's talking about. This is, if there's no regenerate, if there's no spirit there, there's no turning to Jesus, there's no humility, there's no trust, there's no obedience, there's no forgiveness. It only comes through him. That's what it means. And you not, you're not going to do that if you have the Spirit. So those who are in, a in active rebellion against God, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and accusing the Son and often the Spirit of evil acts and evil motives, this is what these guys are doing. They're committing the eternal sin. It will have eternal consequences unless they repent. All of you have committed the eternal sin in that way, right? Every time we've sinned before we knew Christ, that's going to have eternal consequences. Does that make sense? I know I went a little hard on that, but it's a hard one because I've had people, we had, when I was in Austin, we had a young girl of 16. She was one of the leaders in our youth group. I didn't do the youth group, but I helped um, once in a while. And she came in crying, thinking she committed the unforgivable sin. It's just a miss, it's a category error. Think about it. How do you get into the kingdom? 
Works or grace? What's the name of our church? Good. Good job. Got that right. You don't get into the kingdom by your works. You're not going to get out of it by your works. <laughs> Doesn't that make sense? If you've accepted Christ, you have the Spirit, the power's there. Don't underestimate the power of forgiveness. So we just told her, I said, well, why do you think that? It's like, why? She was just doubting some of the, the gospel, you know, or just struggling with some of it. And, I, and, you know, I just said what some of the reformers that we read said. It's like, well, if you really feel guilty, you probably got the Holy Spirit working there because the guilt wouldn't come unless there was somebody telling you there was something wrong. And it was just, it was such a neat thing. It was a Holy Spirit thing, I think, because she just kind of went, <laughs> oh, thanks. And that was it. I'm like, wow, <laughs> this isn't too hard. Doesn't always work that way, folks. Yeah, but, uh, but they're attributing to the Holy Spirit and the acts of Jesus, the driving out of demons, the miracles, the, the words that he's saying to Satan, this is as bad as it can get. This is a, it's another way of the New Testament showing the exclusiveness of Jesus. You're not going to get it anywhere else. The unforgivable sin and the unforgivable crimes against God, they're unforgivable because you're not accepting the pardon. You're not acknowledging the ransom. Like John 14. And that's the only one. That Jesus says that all the time. It's like, well, you can either take my ransom or somebody else's. Just take somebody's. No, it's mine. Unless you believe in me, you, you, you won't have eternal life. You'll have the eternal sin. John 14, 6, you, know, you probably know, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Now, you don't have to believe that. You can believe whatever you want, but don't tell me Jesus didn't say it. And it isn't essential. <laughs> Either one honors, submits to, and commits to, and, and obeys him, or they exist in eternal sin. That's what he's getting at. But why eternal? Why an eternal punishment for a temporal sin? Well, there's three possible reasons. The evil is directly against an eternal holy God. You're not eternal past. Did you know that? You were created. Your eternal future, go to the 23-week heaven series, and we'll talk about that, right? The other thing, there's no seeking of forgiveness, so the sin remains eternal. And this one, actually, I got from William Lane Craig, which I kind of like, so that's why it's up here, um, is most likely those in hell continue to sin eternally. Hope that makes sense. Let's finish up with this quickly. Jesus' mothers and brothers. And the mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him and said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around, he said, Here are my mothers and brothers, mother and brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Another way of saying, you're part of the family. Whoever does my will. And your number one will is what? Submit to me, ask for forgiveness, accept the sacrifice, have the Holy Spirit. Then the rest of the will you're, you're going to be able to do. Now, we get earlier that they thought he was kind of out of his mind. They thought he was having some problems, his family. Um, but if you go to Mark 6, it looks like everybody was having trouble um, with who Jesus was in his family. But we find out later that Mary 
and the family eventually believed. Um, they all met together, this is Acts 1, and were constantly united in prayer, along them with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. Eventually, James and Jude and Joseph, and John, they all end up believing. We get two of their books. James is written by Jesus' brother. It's, it's not John's brother there. And Jude is written by Jesus' brother. But right now, they don't understand him. And that's what this gospel is trying to do. If you're a seeker or you know somebody who is, don't try to get everybody the foot across in every conversation. If they're ready, take them. But these guys took three and a half years. Don't ha it doesn't have to be three and a half minutes for everybody. I'd rather have somebody take the time to understand who Jesus is by instruction than just say, oh, I believe because I won't shut up about it. I want them to believe in the true Jesus. But the idea is the main connection here, this family thing, that's the, that's the key. Because of the Son, by the power of the Spirit, you can call God Father. That's kind of cool, isn't it? Amen, right? Yeah, if you won't say it, I will. There you go. There's more Baptists in here. I keep saying that. But only one can give. That's always what we're finding out. And that's what's ticking these guys off. He's the one that conquers it. He's the only one you can have the spiritual eternal life. And he's the only way you can fight the spiritual battle. And how do you fight this? We've got the ammunition. Take every thought captive. How do we do that? Prayer, worship, study of his word, the church. You know, it's never supposed to be done on our own. And then we can live in the Spirit. In the Spirit does not mean floating around and hitting people in the head for things. It means doing the things that the Spirit would be honored, acting in the way that the Spirit would be seen as being positive and using those thoughts and those teachings that Jesus gives us so we can take every thought captive and obey God, knowing that there is no sin that can be eternal for someone who truly follows Jesus. Let us pray. Father, uh, we thank you for these words. Uh, sometimes Jesus talks. He's so smart that we might have a little trouble, but we know from other passages we can figure it out, and we know that because of him we can believe. Because of him we are seen by you as blameless, and you give us the power to overcome day by day. Give us joy we go into this Father's Day, may we remember that you did create us for joy, that if we're not having some fun following you, we're probably doing it wrong, but may we always remember the privilege of being in your family and always for the privilege you of calling you Father. Amen.